Well, hi, everybody. Welcome, welcome. I'm going to add my welcome to Janet's. Um, I'm Melissa C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I live in New York and really good to be here tonight. Happy to see all my friends and fellows. Um, and uh, yeah, so tonight I'm going to talk about steps 10 and 11. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's in the chapter into action. So you can open up your book and jump right in. I'm going to read some things and talk about it. Um, so on page 84, it says this. This thought brings us to step 10, which suggests we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. We vigorously commenced this way of living as we cleaned up the past. We've entered the world of the spirit. I love that. We're in like a new world, friends. Like we're in this spiritual world right now. And, and in this spiritual world, we've got a function. And here's what it is. It's to grow in understanding and effectiveness. So, and it's not an overnight matter, right? It's not an overnight matter to become understanding and effective. That's going to take some work and some time, um, and it should continue for our lifetime. So it's not one and done. We don't reach a level of, okay, now I'm understanding and now I'm effective and everything's great. But we we live life, right? We continue to live life. And um, so we continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When these crop up, we ask God to remove them at once, Right? So that's telling me who's going to be in charge of the removal of these things. It's God. And we go to God at once. Um, we discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we've harmed anyone. And then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Love and tolerance of others is our code. So what this tells me is that although I've entered the world of the spirit, I'm still going to mess up, right? I'm not an angel. I'm not perfect. And the good news is that's not required, right? God didn't ask me to be perfect. Um, I'm going to make mistakes. I get selfish. I, I absolutely get selfish, which is, you know, wanting things to go according to what's in my best interest. I'm going to want that sometimes. Um, or actually what I believe is in my best interest. That's my problem too, because I don't really know what's in my best interest. I think I do in the moment, but I'm a feel good person. So if it feels good, I think that's in my best. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> um, and, you know, I might even be dishonest, right? Sometimes I might get dishonest, which means for me, I know when I'm dishonest, what that really means is I'm not trusting God with the outcome. It's me saying to God, I've got a, I've got an outcome. I've got a plan. Move over and let me make my plan come to fruition. And that's when I behave dishonestly. Um, and I know that I can't do that, right? That's dangerous area for me. Um, and I get resentful, right? basically irritated when life doesn't follow my little plans. That's for me what it means to be resentful. And I get afraid, right? Again, 
when I'm afraid, I'm not trusting God's plan. Oftentimes when I'm afraid, I'm in futuristic thinking and I'm doubting God's power, right? Because um, I'm, I'm afraid that whatever problems are going to come my way, God's power isn't going to be strong enough to either override the pain or the discomfort or strong enough to make me strong enough to endure whatever pain and discomfort. So when I'm living in fear, I'm not trusting God. Um, and here I'm told, what do I do when I, when I fall short on any of those things? I bring it to God, right? I talk with another person. I make amends if I've hurt someone. And then I help someone. I resolutely turn my thoughts to someone I can help. And the last sentence of all is one of my favorite lines. Um, Love and tolerance is my code. So, you know, remember we're living in the in the world of the spirit now. And in the world of the spirit, um, I say I've got I've got an SOP here. I've got a standard operating procedure for the business of me, right? And it's my mission statement. If I want to live in the world of the spirit, the mission statement for me is love and tolerance. And if you notice, it's not fairness and justice. That's not my code. It's not right versus wrong, you know? Um, and I lived for a long time in the fair and unfair kind of thought, you know? It, it was like everything had to be fair. Um, it had to be fair. And actually... When I'm really honest, I wasn't all that concerned with fairness for the world. I just wanted, I wanted fairness for me when it felt like it wasn't fair for me, right? If everything was in my favor, I was never questioning fair or unfair. But here in, here in this spiritual plane, I cannot live by that code at all. I have to live with love and tolerance. And, you know, intolerance also doesn't just mean that I'm gonna have to tolerate people as if, you know, um, as if they're something to be tolerated, as if they're something, as the, the rest of the world, you know, um, I'm superior to them and I have to somehow stomach their, you know, lack of my standards, right? That's not what tolerance means. Like, ugh, I have to tolerate them. I don't think that's what is suggested here. I think for me, if I'm really going to live in tolerance, it means that I have a thicker skin so that the actions and attitudes and the way of other people in this world of the spirit, I shouldn't be so bothered by the pebble in my shoe, right? By the small, little, insignificant things, or even some of the big, significant things that over time, my ability to withstand things that I don't like, that aren't comfortable for me, I should get better equipped to kind of live peacefully despite what's going on around me. You know, I'd say it's like this, like part of my problem was I was so sensitive and being tolerant means, you know, I'm going to stop being so damn sensitive. You know, I'm not going to be so easily hurt by little things. Um, 
And what I prayed for is not my circumstances to change to suit me, but for God to diminish my sensitivity to the discomfort I feel when my circumstances don't suit me. You know, when it doesn't go according to my plans and designs. And that's where I turn yet again, if I really trust and rely on God, I'm saying I want his plans and his designs, right? More than I want my own. Page 84 says this, we've ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol, right? So part of living in this world of the spirit, I'm not a fighter anymore. I don't have to fight. And the good news is I don't have to fight my food obsession anymore either. You know, I don't fight. If there's a tug of war going on, my role now is to put down the rope, not to pull harder, not to dig my feet in the ground and hang on for dear life. It's, you know, I can't struggle, manage, maneuver, engage in battle, quarrel, or argue. Those things are dangerous for me. You know, remember in step four, we were told that we avoid arguing and fault finding like the plague. And the beauty of step 10 is that I don't want to fight. Like, I really don't want to be a fighter. I want peace. I don't want to fight for my way. And I certainly don't want to fight the desire to eat. And if you're thinking that this program is going to give you a greater ability to fight the desire to eat, you are underestimating the power of a miracle because we're not fighting it anymore. For us, you know, it, the, the desire is removed. And if you haven't achieved that, you know, hang on, Mir you know, this is a program of miracles. This is a program of miracles. Um, you know, and it says here that um, for by this time, sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor or seldom in eating food that's not on our plan. I'm not interested in eating those foods that once owned me. I'm really not, you know. When I was told in step one that only an act of providence can remove the obsession for destructive eating, this is what they were referring to. This is called the act of providence. It's, you know, it's the protective care of God. Very rarely we may wanna eat, but it's not so overwhelming. And if tempted, we recoil as if from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we will find that this has happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. So I have to tell you, like when I show up at a friend's party or an event, first of all, I know what I'm going to eat generally because I know to take part of sanity returning is I know that it's important to treat my food addiction seriously, right? I don't just like wing it, but I'm not afraid. I don't go in fear and I don't have to give myself a big pep talk so I can somehow get through the event and the occasion, I'm genuinely not tempted. It just doesn't exist for me. You know, um, and when I have been tempted, 
it's rare. And I recoil as if from a hot flame. It's very quick that I'm like, oh yeah, no, that's 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 ridiculous. I'm not really interested. Um, and and we feel like we've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. You know, like God just sort of puts us in a position where we feel safe. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience. That is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. And I'll tell you for me what that means for me personally to not be cocky. Um, I'm not the baker anymore. I used to make all kinds of baked goods. That's what I used to do on snow days. That's what I used to do before the holidays. For me, it seems cocky at this point. It seems like it's, and that does not mean that I can't, but for me, it's like, it's just sort of, it's nothing that I'm interested in doing anymore. Um, and I react sanely so long as I keep in fit spiritual condition. Now, this is what this step is about. Keeping fit, spiritually fit. I don't need willpower, right? I, I've shared that, you know, it's not a tiger in a cage anymore. I used to have to cage that tiger, that thing inside me that wants to eat all the time. And what my, you know, the spiritual solution, what God has done for me is it turned the tiger into a kitten. And kittens don't need cages, right? They just don't require that same kind of experience. You know, um, but so I don't need willpower to stay away from food, but I do use willpower in other areas. And page 85 says this, it's easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. And I, you know, and here's the definition of subtle making use of clever and indirect methods to achieve something. So it's like food is going to make clever. It's going to be clever and it's going to use some kind of methods to achieve what? To achieve getting me to eat again, right? Which it seems kind of crazy because how could food be devising a plan to get me? But for those of us, for me, who suffered from food addiction, food wasn't just food. It was something much greater than it. It's, it's, it was, you know, yes, it was food, but it seemed to be something bigger than that. It, it acted and behaved as though it was something evil for me, you know, and um, subtle is arranged in an ingenious way, crafty and cunning. And a foe you know, is an enemy. So food, my my food addiction, my food compulsion was this enemy that showed up as though it was a friend. It was subtle. It didn't look like it was in danger. You know, basically it's the wolf in sheep's clothing. And how do you protect yourself from an enemy that doesn't look like it's an enemy? Well, I can't because I have no mental defense. And that's why I need God. That's why I need to have a relationship with my creator. That's why when I find that I'm getting disturbed and I'm in danger of losing my connection with God, 
that's what step 10 and step 11 are about. Because I must get back in that close contact with my creator because my creator can see that it's a sheep in wolf's clothing and it opens my eyes to the truth. We're not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve, contingent, dependent, reliant on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. We maintain our spiritual condition. How do we do this? And I would say this is probably where I need to use willpower in the maintaining of my spiritual condition, right? If I'm tired at night and I don't feel like doing my inventory or I'd rather sleep late in the morning and not spend my quiet time with God, that might be where I need willpower, right? Not where the food is concerned, but maintaining my spiritual condition. And so how do we do this? Well, every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower. Here's where we're using willpower along this line, all we wish. It's the proper use of the will. So yes, I do use willpower. I use willpower to seek God's will. I can use willpower to live in agreement with God's will for me. And when I'm overly focused on myself, my little plans and designs, I can use willpower to start focusing on others, right? When I want to play God, I can use willpower to knock it on. We blew a fuse. That's why the light went out in my house. We blew the fuse. <laughs> um, I can use willpower to pray. I can use willpower to pray. I can use willpower to meditate. I can even use willpower to call a fellow when I'm upset, right? I can use willpower to stay away from gossip and negativity. If I seek God, then I'm safe and protected. And so here's an example of how I can use willpower. Somebody could reach out to me and it's the open door for me to gossip about another person. And rather than do it, I can say, let's pray, especially if it's a fellow, especially if I get disturbed over something. Um, that's good use of the will. That's how I can use my willpower. Page 85 says this, much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. And, you know, I have a dear friend in OA. Um, she's actually a nun and she's in her 80s. I've known her for years and years. And um, sometimes I'm lucky and she comes, she comes on here. Um, and many, many years ago, when I was pretty new to the rooms, um, she shared with me that, and here she's been a nun for most of her life, oh, lights are off, um, that actually the 12 steps helped her come to have a relationship with God 
that she never had before. And I loved knowing that because I would have thought that somebody who came here, you know, as a nun or a religious leader in some fashion would have had this God thing sewn up tight. And what, you know, what more could this program have? But she explained to me that what she found out was that she got a relationship with God here. And, and what she received was strength, inspiration, and direction. And she said to me once, you know, Sid, she called God, which seems so funny coming from her, Sid. And she didn't mean it disrespectfully, but she meant it as, you know, to help me remember strength, inspiration, and direction. And that for me, when I struggled with my conception of God, those were the, those were the beginnings. Those were the elements that helped me get a relationship with God because I knew I needed strength and I knew I didn't have it. Then I knew I needed inspiration. I knew I needed something that was going to come from something bigger than me and I didn't have it and I needed direction. Right. And those things. So those, that, that helped me. Um, and so it says here, you know, if we carefully follow directions, we've begun to sense the flow of his spirit into us. To some extent, we've become God conscious. And I love that. That means that we actually get awakened to God, right? In step two, we're promised that the consciousness will come. And step 11, we begin to actually get it. We start feeling this God awake and alive within us. And we begun to develop this vital sense. And, and I think about it like another one of my senses, right? I have the sense of smell. I have the sense of hearing. I have the sense of vision. I have the sense of feeling. But I also get a sense of God consciousness and awareness that my creator is with me. And, you know, and so how do we do this? We must go further. And that means more action. That's what it says. And step 11 tells us that action, prayer and meditation. We shouldn't be shy on this matter of prayer. We are certainly not shy on this matter of prayer. I don't think that it's it's any secret <laughs> that it's it's one of the things that um, that Janet and I share freely with people, the importance right from the very beginning. I could never, ever imagine putting the food down for two days, one minute, five seconds without the power of prayer, without God. Um, and so I'm not shy about it. I will never be shy about it. Um, because better men than we are using it constantly. It works if we have the proper attitude and work at it. It would be easy to be vague about this matter. We're not going to be vague. <laughs> Yet we believe we can make some definite and valuable suggestions. What do they mean by the proper attitude for effective prayer and meditation? I think that's important because it talks about it. Well, it's an attitude of open-mindedness and a craving for God, right? When people say, 
that they're not sure that they believe in God in the beginning, the question that I always ask is, do you want to? Because that's the attitude you have to have. If you don't want to, you don't have the right attitude. That's basically what it says. A craving for God. Basically, you know, I am a woman who must have a miracle. That's why I came here. I needed to have a miracle and nothing else was going to save me. I'm told this all throughout the text and throughout my life. If I have the attitude that I need a miracle, I will pray because my life depends on it. And I will look to help others because my life depends on it. Nothing I'm asked to do will seem like too much. None of it. You know, but there's another miraculous transformation that happens here. I don't just do those things because I'm afraid I'm going to eat again. Mm -mm. I do those things because I want to. I crave living this way. That's what happens. That we actually begin to crave this way of life. Prayer and meditation is my spiritual nourishment. I crave it. I crave it more than I ever craved the food. And, you know, um, so the attitude that I have to have is I want what God wants. That's really the proper attitude when I go to God in prayer. It's here's, here's, God already knows all my little plans and my little designs. But the best attitude that I can take is, God, I might be wrong. I want what you want. Help me live in agreement with what you want. If what you want is the opposite of what I want, help me change my mind. I say, you know, one of the prayers I say is, change me into someone who wants exactly what you want. Right? Change me into a person who wants to say what you want me to say. Because I believe God can change my heart. I think, you know, my creator is so powerful that he doesn't just have me do what he wants me to do. He's so loving to me. He turns it into what I want to do too. And when it's not what I want to do, he at least gives me the ability to tolerate my discomfort because I, because I trust him. You know, in the AA 12 and 12 on page 97, it says this, those of us who make regular use of prayer would no more do without it then we would refuse air, food, or sunshine for the same reason. Because when we refuse air, light, or food, the body suffers. And when we turn away from meditation and prayer, we likewise deprive our minds, our emotions, and our intuitions of vitally needed support. So it's vital right? It's a matter of life and death for me. I need that kind of support. My step 11 practice is related to my step two coming to believe. And the attitude that I take is the childlike faith that was talked about in the explanation of the Wright brothers. And it's further discussed in the appendix in the spiritual experience. You know, on page 568 says there's a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments and which cannot fail 
to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. And that principle is contempt prior to investigation. So I cannot grow spiritually if I have contempt prior to investigating. Basically, for me, I had to stop being so damn cool. I thought I was too cool for this. Like, this is beneath me. It's beneath my consideration. I cannot think that it's beneath my consideration to pray and meditate and seek God. I can't think I'm too good for God and then expect to receive strength, inspiration, and direction. And so when I hear a message that says that you can do this without God, I believe it is my responsibility to say what the truth is. And the truth is, the book is pretty clear. You can't. You cannot do this without God. I can't expect to receive strength, inspiration, and direction on my own power. Right. Uh, you know, so here it's going to tell me what to do. It's really going to break it down. It's going to say at night. Hey, JD6, what do I do at night? Well, right. When I retire, I constructively, constructively review my day. And I ask the question, was I selfish? Was I resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? Do I owe an apology? Have I kept something to myself which should be discussed with another person at once? Was I kind and loving toward all? What could I have done better? Was I thinking of myself most of the time or was I thinking of what I could do for others, of what we could pack into the stream of life? And it says here, we must be careful not to drift into worry, remorse or morbid reflection. Why not? Because it will diminish my usefulness to others, right? Remember that part of living in the world of the spirit right, is to be useful, that I've got work to do here. So if I'm sitting around feeling really crappy about myself, like I'm a big failure and a flop, I won't feel like I can help anybody else. But I'm also not going to pretend that my errors and flaws and misdeeds didn't occur, because I want to grow. I want to be better. And so you know, when I think about my step 11 like this, um, you know, I, I like to think about it, uh, you know, being a teacher, right? We give assessments, tests all the time. And there are different types of assessments. There's, there's two major types. One is a summative assessment. That's the one that you do at the end of the quarter or the end of the term or the end of the year. That's the final. That's like, that's the grade you got. There's no chance to redo it. Like you get what you get, what you get, right? And then there's the formative assessments. And those are the ones that good teachers are supposed to give all the time because those are the assessments that you give feedback and you say to the kid, okay, listen, you, you did good on this part, but here's an area that you need to improve and here's how you can improve. And that's how I like to think about my nightly review. It's a formative assessment. Someday, I believe I'll meet my creator and there'll be a summative assessment, right? For now, my time on earth is a formative assessment. And the purpose of my step 11 is to help me improve, to help me get better. So I do put things down on my nightly review that were positive. 
because I, I think I'm supposed to do more of that and build on that. Right. Um, and, but I'm also going to be honest about the areas that I fell short on. And when I, when that question comes up, is there something that I could have done better? I always answer yes. I have not achieved the level of perfection. I, you know, for me, I think that would mean that my time in this earthly plane is done. Right? If I reach that level, work done, no more need for me here. If my eyes open tomorrow morning, I'm pretty sure there's work for me to do. There's a way that I can improve. But I don't do it in a way that beats myself up, but I'm honest. I'm honest about it. Um, if there's something there that I should have discussed with another person at once, I'll say it and I make sure. That's my feedback. There's no sense. If something shows up on, on your inventory day after day after day and you've made no attempt to fix it, that's sort of like, having a kid's paper that you correct, but they never even look at it. What's the point? There is no point, right? So the point of this, and I really say that my inventory is it works completely in direct relationship with my prayer and meditation. Because I heard the way that I do my inventory is, and you can call it your step 10, you can call it your step 11, it doesn't matter to me what you call it, do it. I think the important thing is to do it. Some people are like, do you wait? Do you do it in the morning? Do you do it at night? I say, do it. I start for me, I started at night. I rarely finish it before I fall asleep. I get in bed and I get exhausted. And I open up my eyes first thing and I finish it and I add my gratitudes to it. And I look at it. Even if I finish it before I go to bed, I open it up first thing in the morning. I do it on an app for me and I open it up first thing in the morning and I read it and it tells me exactly what I'm going to pray about and exactly what I'm going to thank God for because my gratitudes tell me I don't just write them. I'm going to actually use them. I'm going to start my prayer. Thank you, God, for my, and my gratitudes are specific. I do not just do, I'm grateful for my husband. I am grateful for my husband. I'll, I'll write specifically what it was, right? I'm grateful. I will be very specific. Because um, those are the, by the way, that's how I grow spiritually. When I use my lens to look for the beauty in my world, I live a more beautiful life, right? I feel more tolerant of the pebble in my shoe when I see all the wonderful blessings that I have. And I look for them with the same kind of critical eye that I used to look for the pebbles, right? I used to look at people's flaws so that I could feel superior. And now I look for people's gifts so that I can feel loving, right? That's the purpose of this. So, you know, I think what can I do for others? Is there areas that I can improve? You know, um, for myself, I share my inventory. I share it. I share, I've got my inventory partner. I also share it with sponsees that have, that have reached that step and have recovered. I, for me, it's really good practice. I, I 
can err on the side of thinking I'm superior, right? I lack humility sometimes. And it's really good for me to be humble and honest about who I am, right? Who I am and my imperfections. Um, and I also, I like to use my inventory as a teaching tool. I think it's good for sponsees who reach that point to see the way that I do it, to learn from my example. And, um, and, um, and it's important for me. I find it is, it says here that it's insufficient if it's a solitary self-appraisal. That is insufficient. Just like my original inventory had to be shared. My review helps me cooperate with the removal of my defects. I don't remove them. That's up to God, but it helps. It helps me to continue, improve, and progress. It encourages me to do better. It encourages me to seek God's will and to live in the agreement with the divine. The second paragraph on page 86 to the bottom of 87 describes our morning prayer and meditation. And it says this, on awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. I do. That's what I put in my prayer and meditation time. We consider our plans for the day. You know, when I say I consider my plans for the day, I don't write my plans for the day in a pen, right? If I'm going to be writing my plans for the day, it's a pencil. Knowing there's going to be erasing, I'm considering it. Ultimately, God's in charge of my plan for the day. And I ask God before I begin, direct my thinking. You know, for me, it's that prayer. God, help me think what you want me to think. That's my prayer. Um, and I ask that my, you know, that I'm divorced from self-pity, dishonesty, or self-seeking motives. Under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties with assurance. For after all, God gave us brains to use. Our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when our thinking is cleared of wrong motives. And I think what's significant is, yep, I consider my plans. I don't create the plan. And when I'm considering my plan, the consideration is, what am I going to be doing that's going to be helpful for other people today? What is it that's on my list of to-dos that are going to be for the benefit of others? What acts of self-sacrifice am I taking today? Am I doing? In page 86, it says, in thinking about our day, we might face indecision. Oh, yes, I face indecision. We may not be able to determine which course to take. Here we ask God for inspiration, an intuitive thought or a decision. And I think these are very helpful directions. When I don't know what to do, what do I do? One, well, I ask God, right? We go to God. That's the purpose of inventory. I ask God for inspiration. What is an inspiration? An inspiration is a thought that comes clearly from God. That's what it means to be inspired. And, you know, it's a thought for me that doesn't even sound like anything I could have thought up by myself. It's, it's usually an idea that is like, whoa, where did that come from? That's really creative. I didn't think of that. You know, um, inspiration, I was told also, 
has another meaning too. It's the drawing of breath, that inspiration, right? And that doesn't come from me either, right? So I think like that comes from something bigger than me, you know, and it's something that I'm not even in control of. I go to sleep at night, I keep on breathing. God willing, I keep on breathing. It's the same kind of thing. Those kind of thoughts, I ask God for inspiration when I'm stuck. And then I ask God for intuition, intuitive. And, you know, what does it mean to be intuitive? It's to understand something immediately without the need for conscious reasoning. Basically, it's a thought that seems instinctive. It's like a reflexive thought as though it came from within me as though it was something that I was just born knowing. And those are the things I ask God for. I ask God to, you know, help my thought be your thought, implant your thoughts through my brain and help them feel like they came right from me, help it feel like it's natural for me. And if I don't feel inspired and I don't feel intuitive, then I'm told to do this, relax and take it easy, right? Relax. Don't struggle. I don't force myself to decide. And I don't make too many hasty decisions. If I have to make an immediate choice or miss out on something because I can't decide right away, then what I actually do is I actually miss out, right? If the thought has to be made immediately and I can't get there on my own, by the way, that's another reason why we're told to talk to another person. Because just this week, I was struggling with something so basic and so mundane, and I could not see. I couldn't see it. Thankfully, I shared it with Janet, and she was like, she was like, Melissa. And she very quickly, like, gave me some clear direction. It was very, like, you know, I couldn't see it. It was too close to me. I took the action, uh, you know, I do believe that's part of inventory too. We're surprised how the right answers come after we've tried it for a while. What used to be the hunch or the occasional inspiration, it gradually becomes a working part of the mind. And so as my recovery progresses, I find that my, my decision-making skills progress too. They make progress too. I seem to just know more and more what I should do. You know, um, it says being still in, inexperienced and having just made conscious contact with God, it's not probable you're going to know what to do at all times. You're not going to get inspired at all times, you know? And so I might make stupid decisions, dumb actions and ideas, but nevertheless, we find our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more on the plane of inspiration and that we actually get to align with it. So since I'm learning that, you know, I'm still learning, it's crucial. One, that I have a sponsor, as well as a strong recovered fellowship, a good recovered, clear-minded partner to bounce some of my ideas off of, because going it alone is dangerous. That's what we're told. And that, what do we do when we conclude this period of meditation? Well, it's 87 says, we conclude it with a prayer that we be shown all throughout the day what our next step is to be. 
that we be given whatever we need to take care of such problems. So I don't ask God anymore for a lifetime free of problems, but I ask God to open up my eyes so that I can recognize the resources that he gives me to take care of my problems. It's like that old request for, you know, it used to be like you'd ask for the fish, for the hungry man, but rather now we ask for the fishing pole, right? We ask God, give me the, you know, if you can provide me with the fishing pole and the knowledge how to fish, right? So I don't ask God to deliver me all my wish lists, but I ask God to help me. Um, and this is where my third step prayer fits in perfectly. You know, we can ask for ourselves, however, if others are helped. And we're careful not to pray for our own selfish means. You know, it doesn't work. Why? Why doesn't it work? You know, why are we warned against praying for ourselves? And I think for me, it's because I don't have the whole picture. You know, I can't possibly know what's in my best interest or even the best interest for others because I have a very narrow human perspective. You know, nothing in the book, by the way, it, it tells me nothing here. It tells me to abandon my religion, right? Um, that we don't criticize religious people. Um, we don't ask people to break their religious laws. Um, you know, I, I want to get to the best, the last part. It says here, it works, it really does. I want to jump to that. This process works. This is the 11th step promise. We get a relationship with power. We get a relationship with God. And this is what keeps us safe from that subtle foe that was talked about. We have a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from compulsive eating. And with that, I'll pass.